You are listening to Revolver Podcast. Want to grow your own weed but not sure where to get the seed? Go to bcbuddepot.com. For nearly 15 years, BC Bud Depot has been building one of the world's most comprehensive seed banks, offering over 50 strains of top quality cannabis to suit every grower's needs, including multiple award-winning strains like Godbud, The Perps, BC Blueberry, Girl Scout Cookies, and more. In fact, BC Bud Depot's genetics have won over 30 different cannabis awards over the past decade. So you know you're dealing with a recognized industry leader that will deliver you some of the most potent, flavorful flowers on the planet. They ship worldwide, offering fast, discreet delivery at reasonable prices. All online orders are processed within 48 hours and are packaged and mailed with the utmost stealth and safety in mind. And if for some reason your order gets lost, damaged, or confiscated, BC Bud Depot will resend it at no extra charge guaranteeing that every customer receives what they paid for. Whether you're looking for indica or sativa, indoor or outdoor, feminized or auto-flowering, BC Bud Depot has the seeds you need at a price you can handle. But don't take my word for it. Check out their extensive library of award-winning genetics for yourself at bcbuddepot.com and type in promo code BLAZIN420 at checkout to receive 10% off your order. BC Bud Depot home of cannabis champions since 2002. Please check your local state and national laws before ordering. It's time to roll up those joints, pack those bowls, and fire up those nails. Because you're listening to Blazing with Bobby Black. Greetings, Blackalites. This is Bobby Black welcoming you to another edition of Blazin. My guest today is one of my favorite dudes in metal. You know, I've had the good fortune of meeting and interviewing a lot of uh, cool musicians and rock stars over the years, but it's rare when you meet somebody and you just kind of hit it off right off the bat without uh, even knowing them before. And that was the case with uh, this gentleman today. Our guest today is Des Fafara from Devil Driver. What's going on, man? How you doing, man? Good to talk to you. Same here, man. So uh, it's been a while. Last time I saw you, I think it was back in the High Times office. Uh, we did that interview uh, just before Winter Kills came out. Absolutely. We came up, and, and uh, that was a good time hanging out. You know, and I, I appreciate uh, you know us winning the Doobie Award as well. That was a good thing in High Times history. You know, I mean... For me, a kid growing up in, in Southern California, obviously, weed has been a big deal, you know, since I was a kid, man. I mean, and to, to be in that mag and, and win those awards, too, it's, uh, it's just killer, man. So thanks for, for everything, man. I appreciate yeah, it. sure. For, for the listeners who don't know what uh, Des is referring to, uh, Devil Driver took home the uh, Best Metal uh, Award for 2014, the High Times Doobie Award, which is the awards for music that uh, high times does and actually that was really cool for me too because presenting you that award got me onto headbangers ball <laughs> oh no kidding how cool man i love i love to hear when that kind of stuff happens like uh you know it's like serendipity or whatever you know that word is like it's not overplayed you know, when stuff like that happens especially in, in and around our industries uh it's a cool thing but yeah we i was extremely excited i mean that 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 thing's up in my studio and 
I'm sure it gets good news. I'm very very appreciative, yeah. (laughs) So last time we spoke, you had mentioned that you had built or were working on a home studio. So uh, I was wondering uh, if I know that you guys are working on a new album right now. Uh, It's called uh, Trust No One, right? Right. Actually, we just... We just completed everything. Oh wow! And uh, yeah, but I won't. I won't interrupt your question. Go ahead. No, I was just wondering if if you had recorded it all in your home studio. Yeah, well, we worked everywhere, right? So we did. We went to where we could go the best in, in Los Angeles for drums. We went to NRG, uh, and then we recorded uh, most of the music. Mike has a studio at his house as well. I mean, it, when you say house, I mean the studio looks like you know you could go in and play thousands a day. I mean the way the way he did it. And the best thing I ever did, and I just watched this video that Mike was recording uh, yesterday for our outtakes and everything, and they were talking about us recording the mics. Like, I think the best thing Des ever did was build a studio at home. I mean, basically, you know, an empty room that I just turned into a really killer space and and dumped a, uh, you know, dumped a vocal booth in there. And it allows me to write there and get away, but also be at home. You know, I started realizing I'm on the road so much. And then I go do music, and next thing you know, I'm also gone like two or three, four months doing a record too. It just becomes too much, you know. I got three kids and a wife and dogs and cats, and so I like to be home if I can. But yeah, that's what's going on with that, and it comes out May 13th, man. We're really excited, man. Yeah, well, if it's if it's anything like the last album, it's gonna kick some serious ass. <laughs> Thanks, you- man. I mean, it's it's been a while too uh, for us, and we took a lot of time writing this. I mean, we came into the process. With, probably near 25 tunes, you know, and coming out the door with 13 was even difficult. Like, we really narrowed it down. We had a good time doing it, so we expect uh, people to be out there and get in the pit to this stuff, man. <laughs> cool. Did you, do you do most of the songwriting? I do. I mean, musically, I let the guys kind of get down to it, and they send me demos, and I tell them what I like, what I don't like. We make arrangement changes, et cetera, but I write all the vocals. Um, uh, but the sound of the band is definitely created within the musicians. Cool, cool. And I know that uh, cannabis plays a bit of a role in that creative process for you. Oh, most definitely. I mean, this this whole time, I was basically laying the record, writing the record and laying the record uh, on Jet Fuel, which is, uh, as as everybody knows or doesn't know, it's Cypress uh, weed, Cypress Hills weed, and it's, it's a really killer OG, and it's got a great, great high to it. I mean, you know, I, I like to write early in the morning, Bobby, like, I mean, literally I get up at like three thirty and four in the morning, have coffee and go into my studio. It's when everything is just shut down. Like you can feel the energy, you know, no one in the air is even working. So between four and probably like 1am, I mean, that's my time. And I can't have a weed that puts me down hard, uh, but this stuff just takes me out to where I need to be. takes me to another, another place, you know? Cool, cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of a lot of different stuff. I mean, I grow Girl Scout. I love sour tea. I mean, I could just, I could go on for days. Yeah, I, d- I do remember that uh, the OG you said uh, even back then was was kind of held a special place in your heart, though. Yeah, oh, definitely. You know, and it's very reminiscent of a, a strain like probably ten years ago called the Church, which when you got it, you were like, ah, what is this? You know, I mean, I found weed. Early on, I mean, I was the kid who was like on Ritalin for eight or nine years, like ADD, you know, couldn't sit in class. I mean, they tried to sit me underneath fluorescent lights for a half hour and talk about social studies, and I couldn't do it. So I found uh, weed, and I, I finally I told my parents, like, I'm getting off these drugs, you know, and I started smoking herb. And I mean, I mean, my grades went like to A's and B's, dude. Like, all of a sudden, I could comprehend math or whatever. 
so that that's my experience with marijuana. I mean, it's not just like the kid in Southern California, you know, on the beach smoking it with his friends and giggling. I mean, although that happened, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, although that happened a lot, it's also was very uh, very beneficial in my life. I'm good to see the movement moving the way that it is, and I'm hoping that every single state gets in line here in the next like year or two. I mean, this is ridiculous, right? I mean, alcohol is legal. I mean, I don't know how many drunk driving we have every night. You know, I just recently had a friend pass from drunk driving. Out. No. It's like, you know, it's, it's a sad thing, you know? So, uh, I, I'm good to see the movement growing the way that it is. And that's my background with it. And that's where I live with it. I mean, I'm an artist, so I live with weed. I, mean, I wake up, I smoke weed. Yeah. Well, I run, four, I run four companies, two bands. And wow. Two bands, two different companies, a household full of, you know, teenagers and dogs. And, you know <laughs> what I mean? So it just goes to show that that usual kind of sitting on the couch guy who's gone and over it because he's so stoned. It's just such a false thing they've been putting out for years, and it just it irritates me, right? Sure. But Cali seems yeah. poised to go legal, hopefully, this year. There's, a, one, yeah, there's an initiative go, on there. Man. Let's see it go. It's I mean, about what, time. They just... It's about time. I mean, ridiculous that we're behind Denver. Just, <laughs> I can't believe it. It's it's ridiculous, man. And for so many reasons, it's it's unbelievable. I mean, for its effects. I mean, I saw my mother go through breast cancer and go through all the chemo. And, and I mean, literally, if I wasn't getting her weed, and she was scared at that point, oh, I don't want to get a license. I'll be on the government's radar. You know, it's like, fuck the government, man. This shit mm-hmm. will make you live. You will, like, you will be able to eat. And, and, you know, she's from the 60s. And so she started smoking weed. And I watched her. I watched it get her through that disease. So, yeah, I mean, as much as I can be on the front lines for it, I've always been that guy. And to try to oppose the whole, like, Spicoli image of just like, oh, dude. It's like, <laughs> yeah, every, every, every once in a while, everybody gets fried, right? But that's on a Sunday at, like, 6 o'clock <laughs> when I've got nothing to do, right? Like, sure. You know, and that's why, you know, at my age, I go in and my blood pressure is killer and everything. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, for sure. So uh, if I remember correctly, you're a smoke after the performance kind of guy, right? Not a smoke before the performance or is that? Actually, no, man. I, I get high all day. I mean, <laughs> I mean, and, I, and I'm kind of like, I, I definitely have to get stoned right before I go on stage. That's Oh, right on, yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, you. for me, it's, as an artist, I think it's a, it's a disconnect to connect. I know when people are up there on stage and they're so connected that they're total, they're not connected. They're so connected to themselves and what they're doing that they're not connected at all to the art or the people. So I realized early on, you know, disconnect in order to connect. And the way to do that is definitely marijuana. But that's what just about every art form that you can, you know, that you can utilize it on. I mean, I obviously wouldn't want to be an astronaut up there pushing buttons, but, yeah. you know. <laughs> <laughs> sure. And I know that also uh, I remembered that when we spoke, you were really hot. And this was a while ago, but you were hot on the clear papers. Um, I, I don't see those around as much as I used to anymore. I was curious uh, what what your favorite way of using uh, cannabis yeah, is now. You I also- mean, for me, here, here's what's up. Like, I'm a singer, right? I'm a vocalist. So for some reason, bongs because I take big, huge hit riffs or whatever. It really messed with me, man. Uh, a vape pen really messes me. Like, uh, if I vape before I sing, it really messes with me. And I've been using cellulose for a long time, and I've been using Alitas for years. I mean, probably about 12 to 15 years. I mean, at this point, you can come to me and do a study probably on cellulose, but I <laughs> just so you know, just so you know, I just got back from, like, the big doctor's appointment that you go to, like, as a man, and, like, 
they were like, dude, your lungs are like at the tissue of a 20 year old. You know, you're like, you know, your, nice. your blood pressure is incredible. I just ran, you know, I ran five miles for them right there on the trailer. They're like, you had no problem. So I think, uh, that is, that is my preference. If I'm, if I'm singing or if I'm writing just to burn joints, just because, you know, I'm kind of an old school hippie like that. Right. But, um, if I'm not singing, I, I, I don't mind vaping. Um, and if I'm not singing, I'll definitely hit my G pen and hit some wax. Um, if I don't have vocals for like two or three or four days, I can definitely hit wax and, and enjoy that. Yeah. I was going to ask you how, where you came down on the dab issue. I mean, are you, uh, do you use a torch and a rig ever, or you basically just stick to the vape pen? Yeah. I'm just a vape pen kind of guy, you know, and, 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 and now too, people are starting to do it a, a lot more healthy as well. You know, it's, so it just just depends on what I can get to, you know. If I can get really good shatter, I'll do that. Yeah, you guys had you guys had that uh, custom uh, vaporizer that you made the Devil Driver Silver Surfer vape back then, which you, you actually gifted me one. So thanks for that. But uh, that was yeah. a really cool device. I like that one. Right on. Yeah, there was one year that we sold them, and uh, I mean they did well. It was really cool to see people. I mean, obviously, no. When you take it to their house, they're vaping, and it's got a big double driver on it, so it's real cool. And also, backs what I was saying before, you know, uh, just about kind of spreading the word. And I was doing it when it was way underground, Bobby, right? You know, and you too, man. When it was like dangerous, right? So, yeah. I mean, you know, in L.A., there was a time when you know, cruising in your car with an eighth weed gets you really fucked up, man. Like so. Uh, it's good to see things coming around right now, definitely. Yeah, it's definitely becoming more mainstream and less outlaw. And even though that is that's good on so many levels, as far as people not having to get busted or go to jail, and and people having that money go into the you know to help the society rather than going into the hands of you know underhanded some some underhanded people. But I gotta say, you know, like you were saying, there's a little something I miss about the danger and the outlaw. I mean, that's kind of what made it special and cool at the time sort of like rock and roll the same thing you know you you're breaking rules you're sticking your finger up you know up to the man and you know there was that aspect of it that i'll that i'll always miss if it becomes you know super mainstream yeah but i mean for that we always have mushrooms dmt and you know i mean really i like i like to see it where it's going you know i I do and i'm i'm appreciative of it you know personally i went to prison for weed so you know I like to see it to where if I'm in a car cruising with somebody, which is the truth here, I was in a car cruising with somebody and they had like 10 eighths on them and I was a passenger and, but the backpack was at my feet and I went, you know, I went to jail, man, you know, and had to deal with all of that. So I don't like to see that for something that, and I'm not a, a, a organized religion guy here, so watch the word here, but <laughs> the, the gods grew that, right? That's a natural thing on this planet that man hasn't altered, and they've altered everything. I mean, the tomatoes I'm eating right now, the corn, are definitely fucking GMO some way, you know, <laughs> like pesticides. And, and so, you know, this is a plant that, I mean, yes, we alter by splicing or, or, or putting, you know, different genes together and making strains, but, I mean, we're definitely not altering it. I mean... It's it's staying basically the same, and that's a beautiful thing. And you, and I can go into it forever too, but I don't want to bore people with you know. And you could too with, you know, its seeds are the highest protein possible on Earth. I mean, per seed, uh, you could make clothing, you could make biofuel, you could. I mean, it cures cancer, it stops cancer, it 
I mean, I could go on. Sure. You know? I mean, the, the medical benefits. I'm, I'm amazed over the past few years to see study after study come out, not in the U.S. because they're not allowed, but in like Israel, South America. There's these studies keep coming out saying it helps with Alzheimer's disease. It helps restore brain cells. It helps restore lung cells, the exact opposite of what we were told growing up by all those DARE people. And the, oh, you know, yeah. And you hear all the time, you know, okay, my kid, you know, has severe autism and you know, it's terrible for them to deal with it, but I started giving them tincture, and next thing you know, they're, they're looking me straight in the eye without moving and having a conversation. Like, you hear all about that. You hear all about cerebral palsy, and then I smoked a joint, and I could, like, sit there and eat my meal without shaking. I mean, you hear this. So you wonder, and this is, this is the problem that's going to happen. You wonder why the government doesn't just go, okay, this has to be ex- even more research than it is now made for people, made made and available to patients, available to everybody for their wellness and peace of mind. But then they're going to get involved. And if the government gets involved, then we don't know what pesticides are going to be on, how it's grown, how it's force-fed, et cetera. And, and, uh, you know, and I'm the kind of guy who, like, I source out my food. If I can, I go to a farmer's market. If I, you know, if I'm buying herb from someone or – you know, I got to know what they're doing to it. You know that it's not Frankenstein weed. You know, like sure. I don't want to be fed pesticides. It's like, yeah, you got your herb done in six weeks. <laughs> like, you know, however you did that. Yeah, I'm not impressed. You know, I want it to go full and I want it to be organic and such and such. So we'll we'll really see where this goes. I mean, I think it's a newer generation thing. So hopefully, you have people listening to this podcast who are like 20 and under. Because those are the ones, are, those are the warriors that are going to carry on what we're all been doing since, you know, I mean, me, since I was 10 years old, you know, and saying, hey, chill out, man. Smoke a joint, man. <laughs> right on, right on. Well, we need to take a quick break, but we will be right back with more from Des Fafara from Devil Driver. Want to grow your own weed, but not sure where to get the seed? Go to bcbuddepot.com. For nearly 15 years, BC Bud Depot has been building one of the world's most comprehensive seed banks, offering over 50 strains of top quality cannabis to suit every grower's needs, including multiple award-winning strains like God Bud, The Perps, BC Blueberry, Girl Scout Cookies, and more. In fact, BC Bud Depot's genetics have won over 30 different cannabis awards over the past decade. So you know you're dealing with a recognized industry leader that will deliver you some of the most potent, flavorful flowers on the planet. They ship worldwide, offering fast, discreet delivery at reasonable prices. All online orders are processed within 48 hours and are packaged and mailed with the utmost stealth and safety in mind. And if for some reason your order gets lost, damaged, or confiscated, BC Bud Depot will resend it at no extra charge guaranteeing that every customer receives what they paid for. Whether you're looking for indica or sativa, indoor or outdoor, feminized or auto-flowering, BC Bud Depot has the seeds you need at a price you can handle. But don't take my word for it. Check out their extensive library of award-winning genetics for yourself at bcbuddepot.com and type in promo code BLAZIN420 at checkout to receive 10% off your order. BC Bud Depot home of cannabis champions since 2002. Please check your local, state, and national laws before ordering. All right, and welcome back to the show. We're here with Des Fafara from Devil Driver. You uh, high enough right now, Des, or what? Yeah, man. I'm puffing on some strawberry banana over here. Oh, 
good friend of mine brought over some sour D, and I'm I'm a guy who really loves that taste when it's done right and done organic and left on long enough. Like uh, I love it. So I've got a big jar of it right now, and uh, I know Anastasia just walked in, and my wife, and she rolled she rolls a mean joint and quick, <laughs> man. It's like, what are you from the '60s? No, girl, you're too young. I married a young wife. I'm smart. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Let's talk. Uh, let's go back to talking about the music for a little while here. So obviously, you had taken a little break from Devil Driver when you uh, reunited with your former band, Coal Chamber. Um, tell us a little about what that was like, uh, how it came together, and uh, what it was like recording and touring with those guys again. That thing was crazy, you know. I mean, it, it, it's what made me in the beginning, really. I mean, it's the first band I was ever in that actually did something. I was in several other bands, but that band. You know, uh, gold records uh, across the board on soundtracks and everywhere else, and uh, toured the world with uh, insane artists, and had the whole cliche rock and roll fallout. Everyone got on methamphetamines but me, and I just watched it go downhill. Horrible, man. You watch your friends, your career, your everything, right? And and I think what was really killer is I always tell people, right? Do, do not ever put it out of your mind making up with somebody and having some kind of forgiveness in your heart because moving on either you, you know, even if you have a five minute conversation and you move on or you do what I did, but we started talking and over a course of about six years, this started in about 2006, 2007, they would every once in a while send me like a demo of one or two songs. And, you know, you cut to 2010 or 11. Well, actually 2009, uh, Meigs got on stage with devil driver and did Loco, which is a famous Cold Chamber song, which is sure. the one that helped us get a gold record, et cetera. I remember it and, well. <laughs> yeah, and he got on, and right, he played, we played that tune, and not only, like, you know, thankful to the guys in Devil Driver for doing that, it was real cool, because I had distanced myself from that band. Uh, but watching that go down, and watching the fans, watching the crowd reaction, was sick. Sick as shit. And we just started talking. So, you know, you cut to 2011 or whatever, or 12, and we decided just, we left it hanging uh, with our third record, Dark Days. We broke up shortly after, I mean, in a full-on, you know, almost fist fight, fist fight on stage, basically, in front of 2,000 people. <laughs> oh, I mean, man. Like, I always tell people, why haven't you written the book? Because the book is so insane. I don't want to throw everybody under the bus. In order to write the real book, you got to <laughs> tell the real story. Yeah. But look, we became friends again. I watched them struggle get off of methamphetamines uh it took them years and years and years and now these cats are clean and sober and they're hitting me up and want to do some music and for me to go nah you know thanks for everything in the past right we traveled the world together for 10 years and had gold records thanks for everything in the past but now that you're clean i'm not going to talk to you anymore it's like nah that's just so far from me and what I, how i was raised so i was like let's do it uh i heard a bunch of demos we went over to Australia and did our first gig in probably 10, 11 years apart in front of 70,000 people. I mean, it was the sickest shit ever. And on the way back from that gig to the hotel, uh, Meeks was listening to some headphones and I grabbed the headphones from him and I'm like, put on whatever you're listening to, you know? And it was a bunch of stuff that he's been working on. I remember saying to him, man, if this is what you're writing, like, I'd love to sing to this. And the rest is history. We got with Napalm Records, released a record, took it around the world. You know, the record is called Rivals, Cold Chamber, and took it around the world, played, you know, huge festivals, uh, went on tour with a bunch of really cool people. And 
And um, kind of like laid it to rest like that for now, you know, at least, because I'm in Devil Driver world for a very long time right now. But laid it to rest like that, like just like, okay, we did it, we did it right, you know? Like we went back and, and like, you know, dressed her up and took her out for dinner and it was a good time. <laughs> <laughs> and sure, that's really man. it. How does uh, playing with Cold Chamber differ, in, you know, as far as uh, the interpersonal relationships with Devil Driver? I mean, as far as, far as musically, those guys are, it's, a, it's a, a simpler kind of groove. But there's something else with it that's a, that's a definite, like, artistic thing happening, you know? A real dark, groovy kind of thing happening with them. Devil Driver, you're going to get a real heavy, thrashy, but groove. And we've almost, uh, our, our fans have started to call this groove metal, you know, the California groove machine. They've yeah. got all this stuff going. But that's cool. It means, you're, it means you're presenting yourself and doing something different. And so, you know, Devil Driver definitely has, like, a, a different signature sound, you know? Uh, that's that's the only way I can explain Definitely. like the difference the differences between that you know. So you guys have uh, obviously with both of your bands you've toured with a lot of great bands you've been on a lot of great tours. Do you have a a, a particularly memorable tour that that stands out over the years? I mean I think touring around the world with Pantera for a couple of years was about the most intense thing that's ever happened. To me. <laughs> uh, and I you know we did a world tour with Black Sabbath. Uh, with some of our road, some of our like base cases and stuff like that, like literally in cardboard boxes, like just rolling so hard. So, uh, you know, if I look back on, on where it started and, and, and huge tours, yeah, it would be like bands like that, like Pantera, like Black Sabbath. But you, know, you gotta understand, man, these are different times, right? These are like in the nineties. So let me take you back there. I mean, the bands that are all over the, even the radio right now and, and are, you know, number one on the charts or number three on the charts. I mean, their draws are like 3,000, you know, 4,000 a night. Maybe with a good package, they're hitting five or 6,000 people, right? We're talking back in the day, Pantera would play every single night for 9,000, 12,000, Dallas, 15,000. Like, so it's a, it's a yeah. different, it's a different ball game back there. I remember. Definitely. Yeah, I remember. I, I saw yeah. Pantera every time they came around. I, I'm, I saw Pantera over a dozen times easily. You know, and that's just one of many, many great bands that were around and doing that back then. Uh, you know, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, the thing is, with me in, in, in over twenty-two years or whatever, I've been fortunate to not only sing with a lot of cool cats on records or whatever, but like tour with a lot of my favorite bands. You know, and when you talk about going out with a Sabbath or a Pantera or Megadeth or you know, doing huge festivals with, I mean, I could name every band I've ever been into, including like early punk rock bands that have. I'm huge, hugely influenced by early punk rock from Black Flag to Circle Jerks to the Germs. I mean, I can go on for days to play with all those people. Like that's really what the gift is in doing music. You know, it's not it's not only being able to keep a roof over my family's house and and like raise children and everything off of art. It's about communicating with vibe, right? Yeah. Like actually actually having like some notion of what life is like in this placement of wherever you're at like enjoying something that's happening to you or striving for moments of you're clear in the moment but you're doing things that seem like a dream right so i think that's you, you have to strive for that and, and I've, I've been fortunate enough to like to live that which is really humbling man you know that's awesome you know, recently uh, Metal lost one of its great uh, icons, uh, Mr. Kilminster Lemmy. Um, oh, did man. you uh, ever get the uh, opportunity to play with him? And did you were you friends with him? Did you know him? Played many times with him. 
many different festivals, many different shows, many, you know, yes, I was friends with him. He knew me by name. I knew him by name. And probably one of the most, well, if not, he is, uh, Imanazi, the, the most down to earth guys, just full of no ego, just, Hey Des, what's up? Like, I mean, just the nicest cat ever, but you want to talk legend. I mean, when I first got into devil driver, probably for the first six years, literally, cause we only had a 40 minute record the first two or three years, you know what I mean? <laughs> so we needed longer songs. We covered Ace of Spades and we did a, a crazy fucking version of it, even heavier, faster. It was badass. And well, I don't know, you can't say heavier, but faster. And I wore a motorhead shirt daily. So you, <laughs> cut to about, you cut to about four or five years after that. And, and I ran into them at a gig. We were playing like in Oklahoma, some middle of somewhere. It was weird. It was a big gig in Oklahoma. And I took off my shirt that day and I just took it into uh, a dude who took it up on the bus with all of them and, and got it signed by him and the band and actually one extra signature and I can't read it. So it's either a crew member or, <laughs> you know, and you know, you know, rock and roll, it's like, you know, just somebody up on the bus. I don't know. You sign it too. You know, it's like, so it's badass. But um, yeah, I'm a, you know, was it is always, uh, will be a huge fan. Um, two days after he passed, I, I went straight into my uh, garage and unloaded all sorts of boxes in order to find that I got from that day in Oklahoma, which I, I believe it was 2005 or six. I have, a bunch of vinyls that I bought that day uh, and some of them are signed and a uh, motorhead booklet that was signed and I found it. And so I've got it it's sitting on my, my living room couch right now. The fucking two records were warped. I was so pissed. Oh. I've got heavy books on them right now on a table for the last two weeks, three weeks, just to like see if I could straighten them out. But yeah, that's, you know, what a legend, man. I mean, you know, you want to talk about a guy who did it his own way, man. I mean, <laughs> I mean, do people even know, like, he started out being a roadie for Jimi Hendrix? I mean, do people even know that shit? Like, do you even know? <laughs> I know, but I don't know if our, my listeners know, so it's good that you get yeah, that out or, there. Like, how many, or, like, have you even heard a band called Hawkwind? Like, I mean, <laughs> like, like, put that shit on, and then they like, oh, you know, Lemmy's too gnarly, so we're going to kick him out of the band. And then he starts Motorhead, and then it even gets even more brutal. It's like, this is a guy who really had his middle finger up to the establishment, the whole time was doing his own thing. The whole time was keeping it heavy. Never fucking sold out to make a dime on radio. This is a guy like that should be, you know, I mean, is legendary. It is up there with, you know, rock and roll gods. But not only that, to be that down to earth and that humble to remember people by name. Like, what the fuck, man? Like, yeah. I only hope like, you know, 20 years from now, when I've had a 40 year career, or, you know, 10 years now, I have a 30 year career. Like I can even keep that kind of headspace. So yeah, man, it's a fucking sad loss. Yeah. You want to talk about good uh, rock and roll to listen to while you're high, put on some headphones, get smoke a joint and listen to Hawkwind. That's for sure. <laughs> oh, that shit's crazy, man. I mean, it, it's, and it's heavy back then too, man. You got to remember the time that he's releasing that shit. It's so heavy, man. You know, that was what I always liked. I mean, here, here's a motorhead story. Check this out. Like, when I first, found Motorhead. I mean, I don't, it couldn't have even been like 88 or 89. I was listening to a, a punk tape, like a tape a dude gave me. And every time Motorhead would come on, I'd be like, dude, who is this? Right. And these are other bands with like shaved heads, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And there were, and he was like, this is Motorhead. I started getting into them so hard, man. And then I saw the picture, a picture of them. I was like, hold on a minute. These are dudes with like long hair and bullet belts. What the fuck is going on? <laughs> That's you know, funny. I was like, this, this is insane. This shit is so heavy. And you know, it, I think it really influenced me 
towards metal. I was a punk rock, psychobilly kind of kid, and it really influenced me towards metal because I wasn't digging a lot of stuff on the charts that I thought was very like radio and a lot of just like singing. I never, I never connected with metal until I heard Motorhead, you know, until I heard Venom, until I heard shit that was like, what? Like, okay, this sounds like punk rock band, so I'm in, right? Cool, man. Well, tell me a little about this new album that you have coming out. What went into it? What some of the songs are about? Uh, trust no one. Uh, this thing is a pretty lethal attack. Uh, it's venomous in, in every possible fashion. <laughs> uh, it can be ex- extremely spiritual at times, and other times just demonic and scary as fuck. I, the writers got together, and, and the stuff that they delivered was just unbelievable. And I had been through a bunch in the last year and a half, uh, personally. So there's a, been a couple member changes in it. Um, and what I realized is kind of the new blood has added this thickness to this thing and made it really just such a viable monster. But it, the record's called Trust No One. It comes out May 13th. And I think people are really going to dig this thing, man. It's it's a 40-minute onslaught where you're going to be like, you know what, push play again. Awesome. Well, we're going to listen to some of that right now. Coming off the new record, Trust No One, this is Daybreak. Yeah! 
Wow, killer stuff, man. Now I can't wait to hear the rest of it. I hope everybody enjoys it. I mean, the, the thing is, Devil Driver's been around since, you know, 2002, and it's been a vehicle for just so many things in life. Uh, and, and, and music, for me, has taken me not only around the world, but put me in some really incredible situations uh, in life that I never would have thought, you know, as kind of a loner kid, that I would ever get into. So I feel really, really blessed and humbled by the fact that I hope everyone digs this record. Right on. Well, I'm really looking forward to it, and I hope all my listeners will go out and pick it up. I'm sure it's available via iTunes and all the other usual uh, venues. Tell us where we can find you online. Uh, you can go to DevilDriver.com. You can go to the Devil Driver Facebook. Uh, you can find me at, at Des Fafara on Instagram. You can find me at Des Fafara on Twitter. I go under Evil River on Twitter, which is Devil Driver without the D's, <laughs> just to work it out for you. <laughs> it took so, me a while to figure that one out, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, and, just, and, and hit me up, man. I mean, I'm, here's, here's the deal, too, man. I've always been, like, really kind of socially awkward into myself. And you know me, Bobby. I don't hang out with a lot of people. You've known me for a long time, you know, right? Sure. Uh, so social media, I think, gives me the aspect to, like, sit at home on my couch or sit in the back of the tour bus and, and actually, like, talk to people without – having to narf out, you know, in public. Because you get me in yeah. front of people or more than 10 people, it's a weird process. So, yeah. Says the guy who goes on stage in front of thousands. <laughs> yeah, there's people that have told me I, I, that I chose the wrong career because of that. But, but here's, the, here's the fact of, of that, right? I love music so much. And I do love the stage so much that yeah, everything goes out the window at that point. Um, it's the personal life thing that's hard, man, when it when it comes to being around people. And I don't think I'm going to ever get rid of that. I mean, I was the kid that played alone in his room with Legos. So I don't think I'm going to get rid of that, and I'm not going to try to change anytime soon. It just is what it is. So <laughs> hit that's... me up on social media, and I'll definitely have something to say. I mean, I answer everybody's questions, et cetera, you know. Yeah, I was the same way as a kid, and I think that's part of the reason that you and I connect so well. Right on, man. I mean, I've met a lot of those people. Like, you know, you know, Dad, you know what we really like about you? Like, we never hear about you backstage and this and that. I'm like, well, A, like I have a show tomorrow, right? There's like probably 1,200, 1,500 people, or whatever it is, you know, it could be 400 people, whatever it is, paying, you know, 22 or 30 bucks, whatever for a ticket. Like they don't want to see me hungover. So no, you're not going to, I don't party when it comes to alcohol or anything like that after the show. I'll smoke weed all night long, you know? <laughs> um, but before the show, I mean, I'll have a cocktail. And I'll smoke it with you. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know. Definitely, man. Right on. Well, Des, thanks so much for taking time out to uh, to call in and talk to us today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, always a pleasure, Bobby. Good luck with the new album, and uh, take care, brother. Hi, Doc. Well, that's going to wrap it up for this week's edition of Blazin'. Thanks for tuning in and talking up with us again this week. Be sure to check us out on social media, facebook.com slash blazinwithbb. You can follow me on Twitter at Bobby Black, Facebook and Instagram at Bobby Black 420. Please join me again next week when my guest will be noted cannabis advocate and businessman Evan Nissum. Until then, this is Bobby Black saying, Blaze on, brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm.